All right, guys, I don't know about you, but February puts me in the mood for love. And I'm not talking about sappy Valentine's Day romantic stuff. I'm talking about really focusing on self-love. And one of the ways I'm doing that this month is I am creating space for myself to write every single day 1,500 words per day, no matter what. Another way I'm doing this is by figuring out how to indulge in chocolate and also boost my immunity at the same time. Sounds tricky, right? Like it's no lie or it's no secret, I should say, that chocolate has a ton of antioxidants, but it's not really ever been known to boost immunity until now. Introducing, this is so exciting, the Organifi Immune Chocolate Bar. Now, this is available for February only. I also think it makes a great gift and tastes absolutely delicious. It is made with 75% dark chocolate, two grams of mushrooms, not hallucinogenic mushrooms, not to panic, but the good kind, chaga, reishi, shiitake, maitake, cordyceps. It has cacao and overall supports total immune health. So even if you've been on Organifi's website and you're like, eh, I'm not really a green juice, red juice, golden turmeric juice, probiotic type of person. Now you can have your chocolate and be healthy too. So head on over to OrganifiShop.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I-S-H-O-P.com. Shop anything you want to and get 15% off using the code RIGHTWAY. That's W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y at checkout. Indulge, stay healthy, have fun in February. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Right Way podcast. As we round out the end of Black History Month, we are going to be talking about several African-American authors you need to read right now. Yep, these are great books uh, that are coming out either... Uh, this month, in the next couple months or this year. So we'll start right off with some fiction titles that are coming at you that you're really going to want to check out. A book called The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. It's got a 4.17 star average uh, rating on Goodreads. It is available on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and bookshop.com. The novel follows the love story of two enslaved young men on a deep south plantation. When an older man starts preaching at the master's gospel, the couple find themselves now Navigating a community that considers them as a danger to the plantation's harmony. Um, that's hitting all those kind of like conversations, really tackling some um, interesting, interesting topics and interesting content. And um, Jones, I think, a really brave writer. Amazing. Um, one that actually just came out at the end of January. It's been a bestseller. Um, this book has kind of been everywhere, but it's a memoir called Just As I Am by Cicely Tyson. Um, you know, Cicely's had an amazing career. She was an actor. Um, you know, Barack Obama actually uh, provided a blurb saying that, you know, she's really shaped the course of history. Um, so this book really just goes deep into her life. You know, she was a church girl. She, you know, turned 
actress and has been through a lot of ups and downs in her life and chronicles it in a gorgeous, gorgeous memoir. Oh, awesome. Um, love that. And uh, RIP to Sicily as well. Um, God, you know, what, we lost a great one there this, uh, this last month. That's a super bummer. Um, Nancy Johnson's The Kindest Lie is one I'm kind of psyched about. It's available for pre-order, not out yet, but it's about engineer Ruth Tuttle, who returns to her hometown in Indiana and discovers the sacrifices her family made to give her a better future. Through that journey home, Johnson examines the struggles that black Americans face to achieve success. Um, reminiscent, uh, to me somewhat of like, um, uh, what was that? It was that movie Hidden Heroes about all the... Uh, all the black female hidden figures figures. hidden figures um yeah yeah that was a a, a, you know that's like the history that we're not told in this country the whitewashed history that we're we're not told um kindest lie available for pre-order uh target amazon and bookshop if you want to check amazing um a book that just came out a couple of weeks ago in february um the black church this is our story this is our song by henry lewis gates jr so from the new york times best-selling author of stony the road and um He's been called, Henry's been called one of the most important voices just on the African-American experience in general. This book is about a powerful new history of the black church as a foundation of black life and a driving force in the larger freedom struggle in America. And this is actually the companion book to the upcoming PBS series, which is amazing. I mean, there's another like Henry Louis Gates, like such a must read, um, you know, writer, scholar, academic, like um cultural figure like gotta gotta get that one under the belt for sure um a book called Razorblade tears also on pre-order by sa cosby um this is one that's um yeah again some of that like really gripping intense content uh about uh, two two fathers ike randolph and buddy lee who learned that their sons have been murdered and they're sort of an odd couple banding together in uh on a desperate hunt for revenge um, but it's a, it's a book that sort of moves from a tale of bloody retribution, um, as the pair confront their own prejudices in this story of change and redemption. So Razorblade Tears is available for pre-order on Bookshop, Walmart, and Amazon. That's one just on like, that's a, that's a book on title alone. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll read that like right um, this now. This next one I'm actually just personally very excited about. Um, this author, we're trying to get her on our podcast. She has an amazing podcast called Hello 7, uh, but her name is Rachel Rogers. And upcoming in May, her pub date is May 4th, 2021. She is releasing a book called We Should All Be Millionaires, A Woman's Guide to Earning More, Building Wealth, and Gaining Economic Power. Uh, she's just an amazing entrepreneur uh, herself. She's scaled a seven figure business and helps other women scale seven figure businesses. And this book, you know, really talks about like 90, 90% of the world's millionaires are men. So only 10% are women, which of course makes it difficult for women to wield the economic power that, uh, will create lasting equality. Um, so Rachel in this book, like I said, that she's the founder of hello seven, which is a company that coaches women in scaling their businesses and their lives to seven figures. Uh, she really takes women through kind of a step-by-step guide to stepping into your power, scaling to seven figures, um, and really going through the process and, and being empowered all the way through. Amazing. Um, 
also speaking of like big figures in uh in in the world and united states and writing uh colson whitehead has a new book coming out um obviously colson whitehead's one of our important most important yes, contemporary novelists um yep. pulitzer prize national book award um and just like a litany of like great novels and i there's he's another one i um through our alma mater ria like had the good fortune to be able to oh my gosh to see I him know. read yeah but yeah. um Amazing. He's got a book coming out called The Harlem Shuffle, Shuffle, which is about furniture salesman Ray Carney. Um, as he gets tied up with some sketchy clientele out of necessity, finds himself navigating rougher and rougher waters. This, this novel is set in 1960s New York um, and is described as a family saga that unfolds and promises tales of love, crime, and hilarity. Uh, you can get that at Barnes & Noble, uh, on Bar barnesandnoble.com, Target, Amazon, uh, all for pre-order. I mean, he's one of my favorites. I have several of his books on my bookshelf and just such a beautiful writer. He's one of those writers that I'm like, why do I even try? Like, this is this is like the type of book that I want to create. I mean, just such a rich kind of harrowing experience, I feel like, in every book. The last one on my nonfiction list, uh, kind of saving the best for last because I love him so much. But of course, Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land, came out last November. Um, it's only got 83,000 uh, ratings, five-star ratings on Amazon. It's number one this week. I mean, even though it came out, you know, several months ago. And um, this book just really captures his conviction that democracy is not a gift uh, from on high, but something founded on empathy and common understanding and really built together day by day. And it's such a beautifully written book. Um, again, 83,000 people <laughs> have given it perfect uh, ratings and reviews, but definitely a great one to read if you haven't been able to read it or getting the audible. I mean, his voice is just so incredible too, just like Michelle Obama's book, Becoming such a gorgeous book. And it's such a great way to experience it, just listening to it. That, that is, I mean... I get. I would listen to that man uh, read me the U.S. Constitution. Oh my God, like, I miss. Uh, I miss his. I just well. I just miss him in general. But <laughs> um, classy, such a classy. That's a classy. That's a classy couple, right oh there. Oh my God, uh, the best. Without question. Um, yeah, and uh, actually, there's one. There's one last one that I kind of want wanted to bring up that we talked about bringing up. I think it's it's really important. And this this we found this in a in an AV club article actually this is not a this is not a new release this is a re, this is a re-release this is a reprint um, a book called the conjure man dies which was was originally published in 1932 and the writer is Rudolph Fisher um, he was a not only I mean a literary lumin luminary and and potentially would have been much bigger. Unfortunately, he died uh, in 1934 of intestinal cancer two years after the publication of, of The Conjure Man Dies. Um, he was not only a doctor by day, but was a very important creative voice in the Harlem Renaissance. He was a prolific writer. And The Conjure Man Dies effectively marks the very first novel um, penned by an African-American author that is a detective novel. Luckily, the, his legacy is being preserved with this reprint by HarperCollins of the novel, so you can pick it up. Um, but a very important, um, not only installment in the genre um, for all of us to recognize and know, but kind of something that marks, as, as the writer of this article, um, Shannon Miller, said, what, what potentially could have been um, the, the sort of career and, and impact 
that uh, that Fisher could have had. Um, so it's a very interesting. It's called The Conjure Man Dies. It's about um, the the Conjure Man is a, is a character named who's referred to as Frimbo. He's an African immigrant, a Harvard educated psychic who practices fortune telling and related mystical arts in Harlem in that era. And if that doesn't make you want to read it, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to, I you don't know, know what would. I love, you know, as much shit sometimes as we give the publishing industry uh, or talk about it. I love that books like this that probably would have been buried or we wouldn't have heard about from 1932 can have such a resurrection and be introduced to a whole new readership. I mean, I love more than any other art form or medium that a book can survive you know, so many decades and decades and, and find its way into the hands of new readers. I think it's such a magical kind of organic experience that happens. Hey guys, Joe here. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but a very important final announcement about the Right Way Podcast submission drive with Book Pipeline and Pipeline Media Group. Now we've been promoing this all month, pushing hard because we're just so excited about the opportunity to give 10 of our listeners like you paid entry into Book Pipeline's 2021 Unpublished Fiction and Nonfiction Manuscript Contest. Now, for those of you who haven't been paying attention or for those of you that still aren't listening or subscribing, Book Pipeline connects writers worldwide with publishers, editors, agents, and the film industry. They use two submission platforms, the Adaptation Contest and the Unpublished Contest. Now, the 2021 Unpublished Fiction and Nonfiction Manuscript Contest Deadline is March 5th, 2021. And if you're listening to this on the day this episode drops, that means that shit is next week. Book Pipeline has given away in total $15,000 industry circulation and executive development for this contest. It's exclusively for unpublished manuscripts across six categories of fiction and nonfiction. Literary, mystery, thriller, sci-fi, fantasy, young adult, middle grade, and nonfiction. If you've got a fiction or nonfiction manuscript that fits into one of these categories, go immediately to www.bookpipeline.com shop unpublished dash contest. Fill in the submission form and enter the code WRITEON21. That's W-R-I-T-E-O-N-2-1. That's all caps, W-R-I-T-E-O-N-2-1, and you will get your entry fee paid. And do it now because these are going fast. Book Pipeline, Book Pipeline and Pipeline Media Group based out of L.A. have been at this for 21 years, bridging the gap between up-and-coming writers and their industries through unique, long-term, hands-on facilitation. This is a premier manuscript submission contest, and we urge you, to jump on this opportunity right now. Visit bookpipeline.com, visit rightwayco.com, W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y-C-O.com, and keep your ears right here on the Right Way Podcast for more opportunities like this for you. All right, back to the podcast. Um, so like speaking of and in celebration of Black History Month, yes. some, I mean, you, we talk about this a lot, but you're, uh, you know, the bulk of your favorite writers growing up and your inspirations were all African-American. All African-American. And it never dawned on me in school. I mean, that sounds very ignorant, but it wasn't like, oh, I like an African-American writer. I just resonated with the content on such a visceral level that 
literally probably five, six of my top 10 books are all by African-American writers. And I know I've talked about this a million times. And when I'm interviewed and people ask me what my favorite book is, which is just a terrible question to, to ask a writer in general. But I'm telling you, if you have not read Alice Walker's The Color Purple, I mean, you're just missing out. A lot of people, of course, have seen the movie, which is such a beautiful depiction of that book. But Alice transports the reader to just a different era and time completely. And it's unfortunately as relevant today as it was when she wrote it. Um, so that was one of the the books that just stuck with me so long. But anything, I went down a Toni Morrison just rabbit hole. I have read every single thing by her. And I was recently um, included in, a, in an interview for Glamour Magazine talking about just like kind of um, horror books that really resonated with you. And I was like, well, Toni Morrison, this isn't a horror book, but Beloved. It's a ghost is, story. It's such a ghost story. It's, it's so haunting. haunting. Sure. Um, I mean, but she has so, if you haven't read, you know, The Bluest Eye, I mean, she, there's just, just a million, a million books that you could read by Toni Morrison if you haven't. Also talk about brilliant and a person that did not, uh, a writer that did not like really begin and get into the thrust of her career until pretty like later in her life, what would be considered later. Completely. In her life. Yeah. And then, oh my gosh. Um, and I can't remember if we read this book in Columbia or I read it much younger, but Zora Neale Hurston, their eyes were watching God. I mean that book. Oh yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I remember every word of it. It's still on my bookshelf. I mean, all of these books are just uh, crumpled and dog-eared because they've been just read and reread so many different times. Um, and of course, uh, Maya Angelou, oh my God, I was lucky enough to see her live uh, here in Nashville um, several years ago. And I mean, it was one of the most, I went with my mother actually, and we were just mesmerized. I mean, I grew up on her poetry. I have pretty much every collection of her poetry and to see such a legend live was was unreal. I tell you what, watching uh, Amanda Gorman um, oh, re recite oh, that epic. I mean, oh my gosh, talk about something that just like we're also trying I had to get to her on the podcast because I'm like, yeah, I, I will I, die a happy I mean, woman. <laughs> dream dream guest right yes. there. But that was so evocative of the Clinton inaug uh, inauguration um, where Maya Angelou debuted her poem. Um, uh, and I had to go back on YouTube and, and watch that a couple times as well. Talk about like, you have to appreciate a writer that can also get in front of a huge crowd of people and they're very, they're very person like pulls you in. Um, and just my last couple, and it's funny cause I keep talking about females, but I really remember, um, Richard Wright's native son, man, what a, what a just experience that book. If you haven't read that book, it's such a classic, um, but just so incredible. And then when, of course we were talking about Colson Whitehead, um, one of his newer releases, I believe underground railroad blew me away. I think that was just a few years ago. Um, but yeah, we read him back in college as well, but I mean, you cannot go wrong with any of his books. No, absolutely right. And like, just to harken back to one of your earlier, earlier points, I, I, I think it is legitimate um, not to initially like you, if you're a, if you're a book lover, you're a reader, you have any aspirations toward writing and you start reading books, like you don't really think of it. It's the marketplace 
I, I think the first time I went and found, like, I had to go find a Zora Neale Hurston book at a bookstore. Um, the fact that I was directed to the African-American literature section, like, sort of, I, it sort of, like, threw me. And I think that, like, they, you know, to create a classification, that this is literature. Um, and, and I think it's really unfortunate. And it's, it's, it made us think suddenly in that um with that classification what about you what are some of your all-time faves i mean uh you named a ton of them i'm also a huge james baldwin fan um and talk about uh to think at the time that he was uh, you know this this brilliant black gay academic scholar writer um chronicler um he was incredible just another another one like like angelou who's incredible orator an incredible speaker but go tell it on the mountain um was his memoir which i remember reading uh paul Beatty, uh is a slam poet and, and just a, an electric writer Ugh, he wrote a book uh called uh, the white boy shuffle which i'm sure a lot of people who were like um a lot of young men who were writers in like the beginning of the 2000s, that book became sort of like a Bible. Um, and Anne Petrie, who wrote The Narrows, she's sort of... Oh my God, I've got that on my bookshelf. And yep. I think she's a little bit underappreciated. I mean, I, I think The Narrows was like the longest book she ever... The, the, the only like substantial novel she ever, she ever wrote, but she was a great writer. Um, my, my live... Um, I saw Amiri Baraka live. Um, and um, I saw him at... In Chicago, I can't remember what theater it was at, but God, it was a combination of like recitations of his poetry, excerpts of his fiction, some of his um, uh, plays. And in between he would like scat and sing. It was one of the most, the coolest, most electric performances. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Zadie Smith. I mean, Oh my God, Zadie Smith. I remember being in Columbia and like, okay, this uh, is white the new standard. Blue. Oh my God. I, I was like, oh my God. Again, I give up. Like, what am I doing? Also, I mean, let's oh. just examine the fact that she was like a college student when she wrote oh, yeah. White Teeth. Oh, I know. Um, when she was like writing from the point of view of like middle-aged English dudes. Yes. And, oh my gosh. um, Incredible. Just yeah, what an imp a powerhouse I would say, um, but I mean, the, and the list could go on and on. I mean, there are just so many titans. We celebrate them this month. Uh, they deserve to be celebrated every day, every month, for all time. Uh, absolutely, um, and I, I, you know, I really challenge people to to read outside of your your comfort zone. And I'm not talking about <laughs> ethnicity. I'm talking about like. You know, I think a lot of us, we kind of reach for the same authors or the same types of fiction or nonfiction, but really challenge yourself to read outside of your genre, to read outside of your comfort zone. I remember when um, Khalid Hosseini came out with The Kite Runner and I hadn't, I I'd not really read a book like that in holy shit. I mean, I was blown away by that book. Um, Alex has never read that book and it's not on my, I don't know what happened to it. It's not on my bookshelf anymore, but going back a little bit and you know we've talked about a lot of classics you can start with if you haven't read these books but immersing yourself in these books it's just it transports you and i think a lot of us could uh, stand to be transported right now um and sh you know just share books that you really love uh with other people and and again yeah just challenge yourself to to read some new voices that you might not have yeah, thought of don't before. be don't be scared. Dive in. Well, and and just the importance of reading, I think, in general, like this has nothing to do with Black History Month, but 
you know, I feel like so many of us, yeah, sure, we still read, but, you know, our phones have taken over so much of what, you know, holding a book used to and really driving home the importance of, of reading right now, especially for kids who are stuck at home behind their screens constantly, like put a book, have books everywhere. So you can kind of reach for them. Like recently, um, Sophie came up to me and said, Hey, I want books on bravery. I want to, I want to read books about bravery. So my father in true form, I mean, he's the ultimate writer and reader. He, um, ordered 24 books (laughs) for her on bravery. And I mean, from all different cultures, all different ethnicities, all different writers. Um, and we have spent like the last few weeks really digging into bravery. And one of my favorite experiences, um, that does have to do with black history month. I used to volunteer for the Nashville adult literacy council many years ago, and I wanted to teach an adult to read. There are so many adults in this country who cannot read and it's it's so sad and it's mind-boggling, but it's also you know, a problem we don't know to fix unless we are made aware or get involved and I was um paired up with this amazing African-American gentleman named Byron. He was an adult. He had children. He, you know, had a job and all of these things and he had gotten away his entire 30 plus years without knowing how to read anything at all, which I, which is. Well, and chances are in an education system where potentially he was, maybe that, that was ignored or overlooked. Absolutely. And he, he grew up in Jamaica and, you know, moved to the States and, um, just, he developed all of these other skills to kind of get around it. But I remember when we were sitting down, I mean, we met, uh, it was about a year and I mean, we were starting from the very basics to explain the English language and all of its fucked up rules and applications. I mean, it didn't even make sense to me trying to explain it to a grown person. Like, how do we ever even learn these rules? But by the end of it, he was, I mean, this is so like small, but he was able to like write a check um, for the first time and do... For him, I'm sure. Oh my that god, was, that it was, was it was amazing. Yeah. But I just have always kind of treasured that experience because of the doors that it opened for him. And I think in our culture, we push kids way too early to read. Like if my kid's not reading by the time they're three or four, like oh my god, they're going to be behind in school. Um, and I think just having like having books around, making it accessible, um, being readers in in your own life. It is the best gift for a child, for an adult. And, and I hope it's something that just, you know, never, ever goes away. Well, and I think you also touch on a really interesting, um, uh, really interesting note is, is the idea of buying physical books. Now, obviously like on this podcast and in our business, I'm very supportive of whatever method, uh, writers and authors can can't do e-books, can can't use, do <laughs> but I support it. I do support that it exists. And I know if you're, if it's the difference between reading an ebook and not reading it at all, for the love of God, read the ebook. But you know, you, when you mentioned, when you were talking, mentioning, you know, uh, Maya Angelou and Richard Wright and Colson Whitehead and you, how, and you know, Zora Neale Hurston, how you had these copies of books. I still have my copy of go tell it on the mountain, um, from when I was 20 and dog-eared, and it, it has become a, 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 an artifact to me, um, and a very important piece of not only a place that I was in and the impact that book had on me and, and my writing, 
but even how that changes over time. So do not dismiss or discount as an inconvenience the tr the absolute pleasure of owning uh, fucking physical books. <laughs> oh my God. And one of my favorite hacks with that. So I had thousands of books when Alex and I first met and we moved together 13 times. So I would have to haul all of these books. And That's I finally a lot. got to a point. Admittedly, it's so moving much. books I mean, it was is like, like the hardest 40, thing to move. 40 book boxes. So what I've done now is I consistently go through a dump where I will take each it's kind of like Marie Kondo style but I'll take each book off of the shelf and really kind of acknowledge my time with it and if it's time to gift it time to move on then I give it away and I try to make it a rule to donate a book before I bring another book in the house which doesn't really happen um but but I love being able to gift books. Like if you're thinking about, yeah, going through your, your bookshelf, like gift some of these books to other people. And then if you miss it on your bookshelf, then you can buy yourself another copy. But really being surrounded by books that you love and you might revisit again and again, um, or give as a gift. I keep a lot of books on my bookshelf that I'm like, ooh, this would make the perfect gift for this person at this time in their life. So um, yep, physical books. Physical they books, they matter. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, and tell us, uh, what is who is your favorite African-American author? Um, email us at podcast at rightwayco.com. Let us know if there's one we didn't mention or a book uh, that we didn't uh, discuss or one that's really always stuck with you. Tell us what it is. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, thanks again for listening to The Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment, and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services, and sign up for our weekly newsletter, where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 